Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Eliseo Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. Would you see Romans chapter 6 as we continue our study? We're going to pick it up in verse 22. On the next day, now before we go any further, I need to warn you, we are going to get through verse 71 in the next 20 minutes, okay? But on the next day, we'll stop with these three words. Let's do a little brief review because John is preparing us for this difficult sermon of Jesus. And so he gives us a story about Jesus feeding 5,000 with four loaves and two fish, the bread, sustenance of life. He tells us about a storm that the disciples went through because there's a spiritual storm that's about to stir in the hearts of those that are following Jesus. So John has spent a little bit of time to prepare us. Look at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And now John is preparing us, almost as giving his own title of this sermon, they'd eaten the bread and Jesus gave thanks. It's incredible that John would point that out as the key thing that he is trying to get across in this sermon that he ate bread and he prayed. Now I want you to pick up something here in verse 23. Other boats from Tiberias came by. It's amazing to me that the activity of Jesus attracted the attention of the crowd. And it's amazing to me as I hear people talking about Coast Hills Church and they hear what's happening, what Jesus is doing in the hearts and lives of people. I was just with someone out in the water yesterday and and they came to a, a Super Monday event and I had the chance to connect with him and I pray even that he's here today and I want to welcome you if you are. And it's just incredible as people are hearing what Jesus is doing, Jesus will attract people to himself. That's my prayer for us as we host this barbecue, that you'll come, you'll minister the love of Jesus, and they'll see Jesus working. Well, he'll naturally attract people to himself. Take a look, if you would, at verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, I've underlined that in my Bible. I would encourage you to do the same. They were seeking Jesus. They were seeking him because they wanted something from him. Now, I don't know what your motive is in seeking Jesus. Maybe church is a great place to find good friends and great families to help your kids grow up. Or maybe it's a place where you can make a good business deal, right? I get them all the time. Hey, I have an idea for your church, right? Or maybe church is a place where you could find a spouse. You know, a Christian spouse probably is a good spouse. And maybe church for you is the sincerity of I want to learn God's word. Well, I don't know exactly what your motive is. But Jesus will use whatever motive you have like he did with fishing nets simply to catch fish. And what he'll do is you're sitting in here maybe for a social reason or a relational reason or possibly even a financial reason. Well, what Jesus will do is he'll give you truth. 
And you're going to be shocked out of your mind that what you thought you came for, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is going to use the truth of the Word of God, and it's going to become more satisfying than your future. It's going to be more satisfying than money. It's even going to be more satisfying than a spouse. And he's going to fill you with something that you never thought you would be filled with before. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus gave a promise. And the promise was this, seek and you shall find. And I always pray for unbelievers that they'll start seeking. Because there's a promise in Scripture that if they start seeking, they're going to find. And here, Scripture's fulfilled. They were seeking Jesus and According to Scripture, they found him. And that's why I pray for believers that they start seeking because seekers are going to find Jesus. You can't prove the word of God wrong. When they found him, I love this crowd, they act as if they're concerned for Jesus. They act as if they actually care how he got to the other side. And they say, now, Jesus, how did you get here? But Jesus knows what's in people's hearts. And so he deals with the real concern. And most people don't like this, um, this, this kind of direct approach. Um, I'm a Bahamian. We Bahamians, we definitely don't like this direct approach. We will have business meetings. We will talk about your family. We'll talk about your house. We'll talk about what island you're from. Who's your daddy? Who's your mom? Who's your brother? Who's your sister? Oh, sorry, so sorry that she's your sister. I mean, we will go on and on for two hours. And then we'll spend about three minutes. Do you want to buy it? Yeah, I want to buy it. Three minutes done, back into relationship. I mean, but we'll spend two hours together. We definitely don't like the walk in, here's the deal, come on out. The direct approach even bothers Christians. I mean, I know for me as a pastor, sometimes I'll have to say to someone, well, you're in sin. Well, I don't know if I like you telling me that I'm in sin. Well, Jesus, I learned it from him. He goes straight for the jugular. And he basically says to them, you got dinner last night, and you're looking for a little bit of breakfast. So he tells them in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes. For the food that endures, excuse me, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, so I can give it to you just like I gave you the, uh, fed you yesterday. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. He says, gang, you're aiming for the wrong goal. You're working hard for the wrong thing. This is a dad who's so busy about climbing the corporate ladder, he doesn't have a weekend to go camping with his kids. This is the mom who is so structured and routine, she doesn't take the time to twirl the hair and cut a little heart out of the PB&J, you know? This is the child, so concerned about social media and friends, can't see the value of mom and dad who would do anything to spend time with them. This is the family of God. Looking for success in the world 
instead of trying to find significance in the kingdom. Jesus says, you're working for the wrong thing. You're working for the temporal. You don't see eternal things. And so graciously, Jesus starts to turn the conversation to spiritual things, to eternal things. And he says, God has set his seal on me. In other words, when the king would send a letter for everyone to know that that letter was from the king, he would seal it with his seal. And what he's saying is, I'm the real deal. I've been sealed by God. God has sent me. He confirmed it even yesterday when miraculously with a sign, I fed probably 10,000 people. Jesus is saying, I can give you real truth. Jesus is graciously getting across Christianity is the one true faith. God has put his seal on Christianity. Not churchianity, Christianity. And I know over 2,000 years, maybe I need to apologize for some things that the church has done. Even I'm embarrassed by some of the things that, we're, that we've done. But God didn't set his seal on the church. He set his seal on Jesus for everyone in the church to look at Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus goes on, and they say, excuse me, the crowd goes on, and they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do, they asked. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, so they said to him, then what do you do? Now stop there if you would for just a moment. They've got the, if I do this, God will do this mentality. What can I do so that you can give me some breakfast? I mean, God, if you just help me pass this test, I know I didn't study. I promise I'll go to church every Sunday, not just once a month. Please, just let me pass this test, and I promise I'll go to church every Sunday. This is that theology. I do for God and then God does for me. What do we need to do in Jesus? Jesus gives a, a very surprising answer. He says this. Actually, God does the work. See, the Holy Spirit has a job to do. You can read it later. It's in John chapter 16, verse 8, if you want to write it down. The Holy Spirit is God. He has a job to do. And his job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin because they didn't believe in Jesus, of righteousness because Jesus is no longer here, so now the Holy Spirit has the job to do, and of judgment to convince us that we're not slaves any longer to sin, that Jesus has set us free. He's got a job to do, and the job of God is salvation. Our responsibility? All we do is believe. And gang, we got to be careful we don't complicate our faith and make it difficult for people to believe. we got to be careful that we're not like, well, you need to dress like this, you need to act like this, and you need to be like this before you could come to Coast Hills. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And forgive me if I've explained this story before, but we had a, uh, 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 in Fort Lauderdale, we had in, um, oh, what was it called? Gold something. Gold, I can't even remember what it was called. It was a, sorry, strip bar, okay? Well, it was right only like a couple of blocks away from the church. So one day, one of the girls walked into church, 
Can you imagine what she looked like? Okay, she had a miniskirt on, little halter top in, and she just kind of walked in. Well, one of the elders of the church took his jacket off and began to cover her. Like, you cannot walk in like this. Well, one of the pastors saw him about to do this, stopped him, and said to him this. I'm standing right there. And as a young guy, I'll never forget it. He said, shame on us that she came to us and we didn't go to her. Let her come. Now, let me tell you about this lady. She now sings in the choir with turtlenecks. I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) She came to Christ because she was received. And we've got to be careful that we don't complicate our faith. For people to fail, they need to clean up in order to come to Christ. Don't complicate. All he says is our job is to believe. There's nothing else that we need to do except trust that we can't save ourselves. And God oftentimes will take people to the place where they realize the only way for me out of this is Jesus. Amen? Okay, that was kind of weak on the amen part. Maybe you've been saved way too long. You need to go back to where Jesus brought you when you came to Christ. Amen? Okay, now you sound like the Apostle Paul. Amen? John chapter 6, verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform since you're calling yourself God? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And now this crowd, they're starting to realize BYOB. They're starting to realize bring your own breakfast, that Jesus is not going to do the breakfast thing. So they're trying to manipulate the conversation. Okay, that's what's happening. And here's what they're saying. Hey, since you say you're God, I want to let you know something. God provided manna for 40 years every day. So since you say you're God and you fed us yesterday, then you should feed us today because you say that you're God. You should provide manna for us. It's like Jesus going, hello, you don't even know the argument that you're bringing. Because Jesus is about to tell them that he's the bread of life. He's going to reveal to them through this a spiritual truth that he is their sustenance. So the first thing he's got to do is correct their theology. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly. Now, whenever Jesus says something twice, it's like when your mom said Chet, Chet, or Chet Arthur Lowe. Okay, there's my middle name. Use it against me. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's speaking about himself. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. First thing Jesus has got to do, he's got, he's got to correct their theology. They actually think that it was Moses that produced this, this bread for them. And he says, it wasn't Moses. I know what you're thinking. This bread came from the Father. This was God's heart for you. God's heart for you is that you're well fed. God's heart for you is that you're taken care of. It wasn't Moses who did this for you. It was God that did this for you. You've got the wrong theology. And let me tell you something about wrong theology. Belief affects your behavior. Belief affects your behavior. You see, if we find ourselves believing that Jesus is just 
well, he, he's just a piece of our life. He's just there for Sunday. He's there to help me feel good. He's there to pray, worship. I really like to feel the lights, the whole deal. Some of it, I don't like the lights. I wish you'd turn the music down, right? No, listen, I don't know what you believe. But if you believe actually that he's just a piece, well, that's going to come out in your behavior. And you're only going to allow Jesus not to affect the whole of your life, your time, talent, treasure, and testimony. No, you're going to believe that he's just a piece of your life, and you're going to act that way. So Jesus says, listen, guys, God the Father gave this bread. God the Father was your sustenance. God the Father is your spiritual life. And now he introduces himself and he begins to say, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he, speaking of himself, who comes down from heaven. He who comes down from heaven. Now Jesus introduces this to them so wonderfully, so graciously, and their response is this. Okay, okay, that's great, that's great. Um, now can we have some bagels and cream cheese? They still don't get it. And I understand this. Because there's some spiritual lessons that I've been trying to learn for 47 years, right? All of us. There's some things that Jesus takes his time in the sanctification process. This is husband where you nudge your wife and wife you nudge your husband. I hope you're listening. But the truth of the matter is Jesus don't give up. And he's not going to give up with you. In John chapter 6, I want you to see what Jesus says to them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He just goes straight for the juggler and says, listen, you're not getting it. I am the bread. Look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now, I need you to underline or circle the I am, okay? Because this is the first of nine I am statements in the Bible. You see, John's goal through this whole gospel is to prove that Jesus is the great I am. This is how God introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And so what, Je what John is doing is he's showing the Jews, he's showing the Gentiles that Jesus is the great I am. This is the first of nine. And he says, I am the bread. And maybe you want to circle that word. Because in this culture, I know not in this culture, we all try to stay away from bread. Oh, it's miserable. <laughs> it's miserable. I, lo I love the texture. I, I just love bread. I love all forms of bread, like rye bread, pumpernickel bread. I love toasted bread. I love so a warm, hot-smelling bread, right? Someone just left for lunch. Okay. But in this culture, bread meant something much deeper than just actually bread. Jesus would say man should not live by bread alone. Because what bread meant was survival. What bread meant was sustenance. What bread meant was life. In fact, if you go to Israel, you'll still see people put old bread outside because it has context. It has meaning. You don't throw bread away. It would be like me saying, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, all of you know I'm not talking about bread. All of you know I'm saying, what a great idea. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, he's telling them exactly what they're hearing. I am your sustenance. I am your life. I am the way that you're going to survive in this world. You can be completely satisfied in me.
the problem is you don't believe in me. So you're craving this and craving that and running after this and running after that when I can be your full satisfaction. You're just like the Jews who didn't believe and for 40 years couldn't enter the promised land. They missed their promise for a lack of belief. I've often wondered, have my lack of faith stopped me from walking into some of my greatest promised lands? Now, here's the truth of Scripture. Jesus is making it very clear. Because you don't believe this, you can't receive it. Verse 37 says this, For I have come down from heaven. He's not beating around the bush anymore. He's going straight to the heart saying, I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I want to stop for just a second and allow you to let that settle. Because I want to go back now and read this text in verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I go back for a reason. Because I don't want to skip over this verse, because many people do. I don't want to take away from the power of this context of what Jesus is saying, because the satisfaction that you can have in this life is a choice that each of us have. And what Jesus is communicating here is, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There is a sovereign part of God that he knows those who will be saved, and there is a responsibility of man to come. It's your choice by God's will. And Jesus uses himself as an example. He says, I chose to do what the will of the Father was, I'm asking you to do the same thing. And remember the will of God. The will of God is that you believe. Now remember, he's speaking to the whole crowd, not just part of the crowd. He's speaking to everyone that the work of God is that every one of you will believe because the Father is giving everyone that hears the word the opportunity to come to Christ. Jesus says this, I will never cast you out. How many of you, and maybe you can just do a little finger, how many of you have ever like doubted your faith? Like, you can just do a little finger, because if you're embarrassed, okay, I'm gonna do a little finger too, right? Like, I'm just do a little finger. Like, sometimes I'm in the middle of a trial, I'm going, are, are you for real? Like, I wanna know, you know, because this hurts, you right? So I'm gonna ask again, how many have ever doubted in your faith? Ever doubted in your faith? Anyone? Okay, great. I'm in light company, okay? What a great verse for us. What a great verse for us. I don't care how you feel. I will never cast you out. You're mine. What eternal security for us. I'm not going to cast you out. Verse 39 goes on and says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
Now we're beginning to discover a little bit more of God's will. We begin to discover God's sovereignty. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose nothing of all that he has given me. God sovereignly knows every single person that will come to Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The Lamb's book of life is written because of God's sovereignty. In his sovereignty, he knows those who will be saved. But we also learn another part of God's will. Would you look with me at verse 40? For this is the will of my Father, that, underline this, Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone. He doesn't say this one or that one. In fact, I grew up singing this song. Jesus, wait, whoops, missed it. Jesus loves the little children. Children of the world. Come on, you guys. The Coastals, you know we do this. Do it with me, okay? Jesus loves the little children. All the children. Okay, so it's not a politically correct song anymore, but just go with me. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. Okay. It, the song doesn't go... Jesus loves most of the children, most of them in the world. Some he leaves out and some he loves. Some he rejects and some he accepts. Like, oh, wow, that actually rhymed. I'm doing good, right? <laughs> I, I participated in writing some of our songs, but not all of them. We, we, we learn about God's sovereignty but here now we learn about man's responsibility. Everyone. You have a choice. Everyone. John chapter 3, John introduces us to this sermon as well. And if you remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he reminds him of a story. Hey, Mo hey Nicodemus, you remember the story about Moses and the snakes were biting the children of Israel? And I told Moses, put a pole with a snake wrapped around it, and anyone that gets bit by the snake, let them look at the pole, and if they look at the pole, if they make the choice to look at the pole, they'll be healed. So, Shimon, huh? Shimon gets bit by a snake. Hmm? Shimon gets bit by a snake. He makes the choice. I'm going to go look at the pole. Ah, I'm going to go look at the pole. He looks at the pole. <gasps> I'm healed. Hyman. Hyman over here, he sees Shimon, his friend. He got healed. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go look at the pole, too. So he walks over. He looks at the pole. Miriam, Miriam sees these two of her friends. They got healed when the snake bit them. So she goes, I'm going to look at the pole, too. But <laughs> little Joash, he says, I'm not looking at the pole. I don't believe it. And he drops dead. Okay? So now if you see little Joe Ash is dead because he wouldn't go look at the pole, how many of you, when you got bit by a snake, would run to the pole? It makes good sense to me. Church, when people see that we come to Christ, they should see life. They should want the life that we have. 
They shouldn't want to be bit by the snake of sin and want dead and death. No, they should want life. And what Jesus is driving across here in this text, he's bringing us back to everyone who looks. If you choose to look at the pole, if you choose to look at the cross, you can be saved. So what choice will they make? Look what they chose to do, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven? They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? They choose to grumble. Now, this is nothing strange. Just like in the book of Exodus, six times they grumbled, they grumbled, they grumbled in the wilderness as well. And instead of thinking spiritually, they're still thinking logically. They're still thinking physically. But Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spiritual words. And there's their problem. Because they're not listening to the spirit of what Jesus is getting across. So Jesus, knowing what's going on in their mind, look at verse 43. Jesus answered them, don't grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's speaking about himself and he goes, guys, there's no sense to grumble about this. God's will will be done. Let me remind you of a prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, now let me give it to you in the Greek. Your will is going to be done on heaven and on earth. We say it like it's a choice option. Like, oh, I pray it's done. No, what we're praying is a praise to God saying, your will is going to be done. God's will is going to be done. And Jesus, he says, I'm the only one that's been to heaven. And I'm the only one that can tell you what God's will is. And he tells them what his will is. Flip over the page to John chapter 12. Flip over the page to John chapter 12. Look at verse 32. John chapter 12. Look at verse 32. John chapter 12. I just did a John chapter 11 going, that's not the verse I want. (laughs) Now I see it. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, Jesus speaking, when I am lifted up from the earth, here's God's will. Jesus is speaking. I will draw all people to myself. Once I die on the cross, God's will is that all people will be drawn to Jesus. He's reaching all people. And he's reaching all people because they're going to be taught by God. Well, what does that mean? They're going to be taught by God. Well, remember what I told you earlier. God is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job in this age of grace is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the inner work of the Holy Spirit moving into the hearts of people. But this gives us our mission as well. 
because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. Everyone who hears, he says in John 6, everyone who learns, well, the Holy Spirit's inside of us. And Paul, he takes us in Romans chapter 10, he says this, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? How are they going to know unless someone goes to them? That's our mission. We tell the Spirit works and people get saved. Listen again. We tell the Spirit works with his conviction and people get saved. This verse becomes our mission that people are taught about God because the Holy Spirit is within us. Verse 47 of John chapter 6, we pick it back up. Truly, truly, now here we go again. Jesus is going to try to get a point across. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die, speaking of himself. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now you have to hear what Jesus is saying. Truly, I got a point to make. This bread, the bread that you're talking about, for 40 years, all of those people died. And what I don't want us to do is to mistake the gifts of God for the gift of God. You see, our family, our friends, our jobs, our stuff, our things, these are God's gifts to us. They're God's gifts to us, but they don't save us. Our value is not found in the abundance of things that we have. No, what he's saying here is he's given us the gift of God. And the gift of God, not the manna, not the gifts of God, not the things that God gives you because he loves you. No, he gave you the gift of God, Jesus. And Jesus, he paid the price of our sin with his flesh. He paid the price we couldn't pray. pay. He died on the cross. But the Jews, they're still not getting it. And look what they say in verse 52. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They still are not thinking spiritually. They're still not remembering that the words that Jesus speak are spiritual. So Jesus responds, and I want you to write this point down. Write it down. The words of Jesus sustain our spiritual life. The words of Jesus sustain our spiritual life. Let's take a look as Jesus answers them now in verse 53. So Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, Pastor Chet, I bought a friend. What's this whole cannibal thing going on in John chapter 6? Eating Jesus, drinking his blood. I didn't know that was in the Bible. I'm really embarrassed. How do I get my friend out? I'll read it again because I'm not embarrassed. Let me go. Eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood. Remember Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life. I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I asked you to write it down. The words of Jesus sustain our spiritual life, and we've got to remember that the words of Jesus are spiritual. He's not physically talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood so you can wipe the sweat from your brow. Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. And would you look again with me at verse 54? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. His words offer eternal life. His words do. Because he said, For God so loved the world, he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, just believe, you can have eternal life. His word offers you eternal security and it's your choice. Will you receive it? His word offers eternal life. But not just eternal life. His word also offers abundant life. Look with me at verse 57. Listen to what he says. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, listen, I came to give you abundant life. The thief, the enemy, he wants to steal your life with drugs and alcohol. He wants to rip your time away with bitterness and anger. No, I came to give you abundant life on this earth. And as I choose to grow in the knowledge of the word of God, he will show me his way and he will show me his will. And in his will, I will be fully satisfied. Paul says it like this in Romans 12. God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Now, if that doesn't sound like life fulfillment, I don't know what sounds like life fulfillment. He says it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Jesus offers eternal and abundant life. Number two, I want you to write it down. The words of Jesus, well, they may be hard to hear at times. The words of Jesus, they may be hard to hear at times, and that's why people, they struggle with this eternal life, and they struggle with abundant life. Would you look with me at verse 59? Jesus said these things in a synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. In other words, have you ever been sitting in church and feel a little uncomfortable? And truth comes from the pulpit and you feel like, oh, I don't know if I like that. And here is Jesus in church and he's speaking truth and he knows it's hard for them to understand. So he says this, this is a hard saying. Look Look at verse 60. And when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You're not going to understand these words in your flesh. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In our flesh, Jesus knows some of his words are are going to be hard to swallow. And he says, listen, if you think this is hard, wait till you see me ascending. That's going to blow your mind. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, 
There are the disciples watching Jesus ascend, and the Bible says some of them doubted. Now, just imagine if all of a sudden I start rising. And I wanted them to put a little string on my back and like, you know. How many of you would like leave this church and go, I have got to tell people to come to Coast Hills. Our pastors float. I mean, if I started rising, would some of you like doubt? Here are the disciples. They're looking at Jesus rising into the clouds. And the Bible says in Matthew 28, 17, because there's a truth about life. What you practice today is who you will be tomorrow. And if you practice faithlessness today, you'll be a doubter tomorrow. But if you practice faith today, you will be a mountain mover tomorrow. The disciples were practicing faithlessness because the words were hard. I ask you to keep your finger in Romans. Turn there with me if you would, Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 14, Paul would say this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, just believe in him. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus. Just believe in what he says. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to have abundant life. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't give in to the way that the flesh is thinking. Starve the flesh. Feed the word. So I want us to start training our flesh and everyone give up caffeine this week. Ooh, look at you. Some of you immediately got a migraine as soon as I mentioned it. You don't have to give up caffeine. <laughs> Thank you. But can you? That's why we fast, to let our flesh know you're not in control of me. God is. He's offering them the spiritual life of abundance and eternity. And now it's their choice. They're grumbling and complaining. He knows the words are hard because it's rubbing against their flesh. The Bible says in verse 64, there are some of you who don't believe. Parenthetically, John adds, for Jesus knew, here's his foreknowledge, he's God. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So there's his foreknowledge. There's the sovereignty of God. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. But look what else he says. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Now remember what Jesus said in John 12. Once I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And what God is going to do he is going to pour out his favor, his grace. He's going to grant everyone in the world the opportunity to come to Christ. Because naturally, well, Adam and Eve are our best illustration. Sin makes us run from God. Sin makes us run from God. But supernaturally, God draws us to himself. 
He gives us the strength to come by His grace. He opens up our eyes to see, maybe even today, that Jesus can save. He draws us by His love. This is His will. The offer is available to everyone because Jesus made a decision to offer His life. What's your decision? And that's where we close. Write it down. Jesus has made his choice. He followed God's will. He laid down his life. Have you? Take a look. It's John chapter 6. I'll finish here in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go his way as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe. And we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I've chosen all twelve of you. Each one of the disciples were chosen. Each one. For God so loved the world. Second Peter chapter 3, God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't will anyone to be separated from him. He says, I've chosen all 12 of you. But one of you has not chosen me. I'm sovereign enough to know who and who doesn't. And what I love about Jesus is he loves Judas all the way to the end, despite the fact that he knew. Oh, the great grace of God that has been poured out on us. Look how the disciples respond. They say, you've got the words of eternal life. Where are we going? Church. Can I choose to trust that he's got the words of eternal life? And can I choose the trust that he's got the words to give me abundant life that I can be completely satisfied in him? Both eternal life and abundant life are available to you, both for the life now and the life to come. Your choice is revealed by hungering for the words of Jesus. Amen.